What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, and we are on a mission to unlock human performance. That's right. We build technology, hardware, software, analytics. It's designed to monitor you. I think the biggest differentiation of Whoop from other products is that we help you understand your body, change behavior, and improve your health. It's that simple. And it's the season to team up. Now, when you buy a 12-month Whoop membership, you can get a second membership for 30% off. It's a pretty good deal. Okay, this week's guest, Drew Manning, personal trainer and the founder of Fit to Fat to Fit. Drew is in the middle of a deliberate effort to gain 60 pounds in four months. That's right. It's a masochistic, crazy, crazy idea of his. But because he is a personal trainer and because he's had clients tell him that he couldn't possibly understand what it was like to gain weight and lose it, he actually is taking this on himself. And so this is unbelievable. If you look at Drew, a photo of Drew before he did this, I mean, he's got an eight pack, he's got like 8% body fat, and now he looks really uncomfortable. And so we talk about this journey that he's on right now to be gaining the weight. And uh, he discusses the mental and the emotional toll of that weight gain and how difficult the process has been, what it's like going through this experience now that he is about to be 40 years old. And what is it like to gain that much weight at that age? And uh, how he's using Whoop to monitor his body during the weight gain. Drew's been a longtime Whoop member. So 8% body fat Drew wore Whoop. And now 60-pound overweight body fat Drew wears Whoop. So it's, it's pretty amazing. We go deep on that. And then, of course, we're going to have Drew come back on once he starts losing this weight. So without further ado, here is Drew. Drew, welcome to the Whoop Podcast. Will, thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> now you're looking a little heavy. It's not. It's not every. Uh, it's not every podcast that I can start out just by calling someone a little heavy. Explain to people how you got into this whole phenomenon. Yeah, so about ten years ago is when I did my first fit to fat to fit experiment. Um, mostly because I was someone who grew up my entire life in shape. I played football. I wrestled from a very young age, and I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters. And so being active came easy for me. Being in shape was, uh, it was easy because it was a byproduct of living that active lifestyle for so long. And then in 2009, I became a personal trainer. And here I was, <laughs> someone who had never been overweight a day in my life, trying to help people who were overweight the majority of their life. And there was an obvious disconnect because in my mind, I'm like, it's so easy, you guys. Here's your meal plans. Here's your workouts. Like, it's not that difficult. And then they would struggle to stay consistent. And I would be frustrated because I'm like, you guys, why is this so hard? Like, it's so easy in my mind. You just do it. <laughs> and it's not that difficult Yeah. Uh, because for me, it's easy. And one of my clients told me, you know, Drew, you don't understand how hard it is because for you, it's easy. But for me and people like me, it's really hard. And so I kind of took that to heart one day and I was like, you know what? That, you're right. And so this idea of getting fat on purpose, as crazy as that sounds, it kind of made sense in my mind. It was almost like a light bulb went off. Like, okay, what if you do this? What if you actually do this? And so uh, the idea was for six months, no exercise, uh, eat a standard American diet and document the whole journey online. And then, you know, to make a long story short, the, the story went viral. 
landed me on TV shows like Dr. Oz, Good Morning America. I wrote a book, which became a New York Times bestseller. I created a, a TV show called Fit to Fit to Fit on A&E um, and then started this whole movement, this whole brand. And so that's kind of where this whole idea started about 10 years ago. Now, you got exceptionally fit after gaining, what was it, 75 pounds? 75 pounds in six months. Yes, a pure fat, no bulking, no exercise for six months. <laughs> and what year was that? 2011. So 2011. So that's a good that's a good amount of time that's passed. And in part, I wonder if maybe you had forgotten a little bit just how painful it was gaining that weight and losing that weight before you decided to dive back in. I'm going through that right now. Almost 10 years later, I turned 40 at the end of this year, which is why it's called Fit to Fat to 40 this time. So um, it, it is way harder <laughs> than I remember it being. Let's give people some stats. So what was your weight, your percent body fat when you first started this? Yes. When I first started, I weighed in at 181.6 pounds, 8.4% 8 body fat um, at the beginning of my journey. I just did also, I got skinnier. I did a hundred mile run a, a couple of months before I started my journey. So June. So you are really fucking with your body. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing some, <laughs> Hey, 2020 is a crazy year. I kind of lumped in these crazy totally. experiments yeah. at the same time. I was like, why not? Now, did you know immediately after that you were going to go into this fit to fat to 40 extra, uh, phase? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, the, the 100 mile run was supposed to happen in April, but COVID happened. And so, okay, it sure. Got pushed back, pushed back, and just decided to pull the trigger in June. And then I knew August 27th was my start date because I wanted to end on my birthday, December 27th. So, four months of gaining was the idea. So, I wanted to make sure the timing was right. So, June was 100 mile run. August 27th started fit to fat to 40. So describe a day in the life prior to this. So you're hundred and uh, an eight and just over an 8% body fat guy. Um, you're 39 years old. What did a typical day look like? Yeah. So I wake up in the morning, um, you know, get my workout in usually earlier in the morning and uh, you know, I, I always work out fasted. That's kind of my thing. I work out with no food you know, take some supplements, take some coffee before I go work out and then uh, do my workout, which is mostly, you know, a mixture of either, you know, heavy lifting, a CrossFit style Metcon or some type of, you know, cardio or, or I live here in Utah. So sometimes I'll just go for a hike. And then from there, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll do a second session with my girlfriend. She's a yoga instructor. So we'll do yoga together or we'll go on a bike ride that afternoon or, you know, a hike here in Utah. And that's a typical day uh, as far as exercise goes. But you know, I eat twice a day, lunch and dinner mostly. And that's kind of like how I maintain my weight. My physique is, you know, a lifting session of some type, some type of like a, a therapy. I call it like therapy cardio session, <laughs> you know, get yeah, out right. in nature and just get my heartbeat up and something like that. Nothing intense, but, you know, obviously for the hundred mile run, that was a different type of training. That was like three hour runs, four hour runs back to back some days. But a typical day is usually, you know, I'll lift weights four to five days a week. And then the other two days are mostly like active recovery hiking days. And in terms of your meals, so lunch and dinner, obviously this is before you started gaining weight. Mm -hmm. What would you like to eat? What, what, what kind of diet did you feel like gave you that, that low percent body fat? Yeah, mostly a high protein ketogenic diet, which works well for me. Uh, my carbs were usually between 50 and 75 grams per day, just because I felt I feel good on a lower carbohydrate diet. My mental clarity is through the roof. My digestion is better. So 50 to 75 grams of carbs. and Total that's calories? Probably around 3,000. 
Three thousand calories. So these are these are larger meals. Um, yeah. But yeah, three thousand calories per day. And do you ever drink alcohol? Yeah, I do sometimes. Maybe twice a month. You know, okay, so uh, not, not a lot. And if I do, it's mo- usually um, dry farm wines, which is a ketogenic wine. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, liquor. If I go out and have like a cocktail, but it's usually no sugar with my alcohol. You're like the walking model citizen <laughs> of keto <laughs> and like a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then okay, now you're starting this process. What does a meal look like for you? now yeah so my fit to fat to 40 journey the the whole four months the idea is to gain as much weight as possible you know what i'm doing in four months kind of is not exactly what people do in four months who are overweight but i'm doing in four months what some people do over the course of years right so five pounds a year ten pounds a year kind of slowly adds up and then before you know it they're 50 60 pounds overweight so i'm kind of shrinking that down to four months so i'm having to consume 5,000, 6,000 calories a day. Breakfast usually is some type of, <laughs> growing up in the 80s, some type of sugary cereal, man. Because I remember TV commercials that would sell us a complete breakfast was like cereal, toast, and juice, you know? Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> that's the way we were programmed to think like, oh, that's what breakfast is. So I'll have like four or five cups of like cinnamon toast crunch or Captain crunch peanut butter cereal or whatever it is with like a tall glass of juice. And then, uh, you know, with a, a side of toast, right? That's a typical breakfast for me. Um, now, one, look, thing, one thing I've always heard about keto, right, is that mm-hmm. you're kind of even keel all day, right? It helps yes. you kind of have this mental clarity. I did paleo for about six months. This sort of was years ago. But I could attest to the fact that it kept you, like <clears throat> I felt uh, a more constant output. I felt like my food was affecting my my output less in a way. And I feel like that might be similar with keto. How do you go from keto to eating, you know, this, that breakfast just gave me anxiety about it because your body's not, your body's not used to that at all. Right. There's gotta be yeah. some kind of an enormous reaction to that. There was a huge shock. I think the first day I ate over 7,000 calories that first day, Oh, um, just to kind of like go from one extreme to the other extreme. And yes, uh, it, my body was freaking out. So I was monitoring my, my blood glucose with a CGM device. Um, and you just see these huge spikes of 150 or even closer to 200 sometimes. And then it would crash down to like 50 or 40. And then I'm hypoglycemic at that point, needing another you know sugar rush, if you will. And then multiply that times six times a day. Um, the brain fog, the lethargy was for real. The uh, sleepiness, the you know having to take naps, uh, was almost instantaneous that first day. And so, you know, those are the types of foods that I focused on were these highly processed carbohydrates that we have here in America that are super convenient, right? They're marketed to us sometimes as even health food, um, you know, fortified with vitamin A or vitamin D or all natural ingredients or uh, gluten-free or organic or, you know, all these things that, you know, people think, oh, well, this is, this is healthier for me. Those are the types of foods that I'm eating. And they're also super convenient and affordable, like they're cheaper than real food. And so our system, our society, we've set it up almost backwards to where we have to fight, you know, pay extra, pay a premium for just real food, (laughs) which it shouldn't be that way. And this food is, um, you know, made where it's, it's, it's designed to be hyper addictive and the, the, uh, hyper palatability of these foods is, is extreme to where your brain craves it again and again. And so, those are the foods that I'm focusing on. Um, I did do a little experiment. I don't know if you saw that where I did a dirty keto week, dirty paleo, dirty vegan, dirty vegetarian. Yeah, talk about those. 
Yeah. So what this time around with my journey, I wanted to make it more educational than the first time because this time around, I have a film crew, I have a marketing team, I have a PR team helping me with this journey versus back then I was kind of winging it. I wanted to make it more educational and show the downside of these popular diets. Uh, if people just jump into these diets and don't really do the research, and I see a lot of people make mistakes coming from the keto world, but also I see it in these other categories of paleo, vegan, and vegetarian of almost, I wouldn't say a wrong way to do the diets, but a very unhealthy way to do the diets. So I did dirty keto, which was you know, a lot of low quality dairy products, lots of cream cheese, lots of butter, you know, tons, a copious amount of fat in my diet. Um, you know, huge, like 500 calorie bulletproof coffees, <laughs> um, low quality, uh, you know, uh, lunch meat, things like salami and pepperoni, um, just the cheapest quality of food you could possibly buy. Plus all these keto treats now that we have keto ice cream, keto cookies, keto cupcakes. And that's mostly what I ate, to be honest with you, was these processed uh, keto products that exist out there, which are good every once in a while. But people sometimes think, well, well, I'm keto. So I'm just going to stay you know, in this category. And, and as long as I'm in ketosis, I'll magically lose weight. Uh, so I wanted to show people the, the unhealthy version of these diets. And then same thing with paleo, lots of paleo pancakes, paleo cookies. Uh, vegan was lots of Oreos. There's lots of sodas that are vegan. There's lots of candy that's vegan. Um, you know, Lots of bread, pasta, rice, cereals that are vegan as well. Same thing with vegetarian. Vegetarian was almost easier because it, it, vegan, you had to check for milk or eggs or butter or honey used in some of the products. Vegetarian was just anything without meat. And so mac and cheese, bean and cheese burritos, <laughs> lots of these delicious foods and ended up gaining weight. And then I just did my blood work um, just recently. And it was interesting to see some of the numbers. So just to give some context, Will, uh, my triglycerides, my baseline was 46, right? Really good number. Anything under 100 is really good. And explain what that is. So triglycerides are kind of the amount of sugar in your blood. And it can, if your numbers continue to stay high consistently, it can lead to cardiovascular disease, heart disease. So it's kind of a, you know, the amount of sugar left over in your blood. If you are eating a high carbohydrate, you know, high sugar diet, plus a caloric surplus, like I am, this is what causes a lot of health issues for people. So my baseline was 46, right? Anything under 100 is really good. And I highly recommend people know what their triglyceride numbers are uh, so that you know if your diet is is healthy for you, right? And so doing keto intermittent fasting, 46 is a good number. After one month of eating the standard American diet, it went up to 246. And then I did dirty keto and it dropped to 79, which makes sense because I was still, even though I was keto, I was just doing no sugar. Right. So it dropped to 79. Paleo went up to 152 because I ate a ton of fruit on paleo, like lots of fruit. Right. And then vegan, it went up to 483. And then on vegetarian, I'm at 500 plus in my triglycerides. Oh my gosh. Yes, which is scary. I think when most people hear the word diet, they immediately assume they're going to lose weight yes. by going on a diet. And then I think the second thing that everyone loses sight of is some of these other important biomarkers that also are dramatically affecting your body. Because there is a scenario here where going on, say, the vegan diet or the vegetarian diet maybe helped you lose weight, but it completely screwed up your sugar levels and your triglycerides, right? Very true. And this is kind of why I'm such a huge proponent of getting your blood work done instead of just focusing on the scale only. Because yeah. if you just go off the scale, that doesn't mean you're you're improving your health necessarily. It's important to get your blood work done. I would recommend a body fat test over the scale any day 
to make sure you're gaining or losing the right kind of weight, right? You want to lose fat. You don't want to just lose weight because that doesn't, you don't know the difference between fat loss versus, you know, lean mass loss. So right. that's, that's one of the most important things that I'm trying to do with my journey is make people more aware of eating this type of food, being sedentary, doesn't just make you gain fat. It affects you, you know, at, at the cellular level, it affects your hormones when your hormones are off. And let's get into sleep deprivation because that's one of the biggest things that I noticed that first month was, so my, my HRV is usually <laughs> like around a hundred or so. I'm usually in the green almost every single night for the most part on my whoop app. Right. So I use your, your, your device, which I absolutely love. And it's a great, it's great data to track on this journey. Cause I didn't have this 10 years ago. <laughs> I yeah. I'm excited about this. <laughs> so, you know, usually my, my scores are like 80%, 90%. So I'm, I'm mostly in the green, occasional yellow or red if I'm like out partying or something like that, which is doesn't happen very often. Almost immediately, my HRV dropped to like the 40s, right? Wow. Yeah. 100 to 40. Yes, exactly. So I was always in the yellow or red almost literally every single night because the one of the things I started doing was drinking a couple beers at night because let's be honest, most Americans, sure. you know, yeah. we drink we drink some alcohol every now and then, maybe some wine, some beer at night. And that jacked up my sleep to the point where I felt so different. I felt like a different version of myself. Any of the parents out there might might be able to relate to this, where you have a newborn baby, your baby's not sleeping through the night, you're sleep deprived, you're kind of like in survival mode of like, you know, barely making it through the day and your ability to handle stress is severely diminished. And plus tracking my HRV and my, my recovery score just made it so clear that, you know, the sleep deprivation affects you in so many ways. You can't even imagine like your ability to love your spouse or be patient with your kids or, you know, be focused during a business call. You're a different version of you when your sleep is off. And if it's caused by the, the lifestyle you're living with the foods that you're eating, these big, huge blood sugar spikes and crashes throughout the day, um, you know, it affects how you sleep, which then affects how you are you know, how you show up. And so this is what I'm trying to make people more aware of. And so that data from the, the, the whoop device is really, really valuable. Um, it did improve on the keto and paleo weeks. And then it, you know, I got a couple of green nights in there. Actually keto was the first week I got four, four nights in the green, um, during the week. And I felt like a new human after that. And paleo kind of the same thing started to go down a little bit during vegan and vegetarian, just because I think my body does not handle the carbs really well. Like a thousand grams of carbs a day is a lot of carbs. Totally. And so it affects my sleep. And then when my sleep is affected, yeah, I'm not the, I'm not the nicest version of myself. (laughs) I'm not as patient. I'm, uh, not, I'm so much more reactive and yeah, yeah, I can meditate all day if I wanted to, but I'm still this different version of myself. And this is what this journey is about is to educate, inspire, motivate, and also help raise people's awareness of connecting these dots of like, okay, this food, this lifestyle affects my sleep, affects my hormones, affects my sexual health, affects my relationship with my spouse or my kids or whoever. And that's what I'm trying to make people more aware of. Now let's talk about sleep for a second. Have you noticed that your slow wave sleep and your REM sleep numbers are way down? Yeah. And I, I would think I, as a percentage of your overall sleep, you're probably getting less REM, less slow wave sleep. Yeah. I can't remember if my REM was uh, about an hour or two. What's yours? What's a good REM? I'm trying to think of what my base Typically speaking, if you're spending, you know, if you're getting over 50% of your time in bed as REM and slow wave sleep, you're in, you're in pretty good shape. Okay. Oh, those so, two combined. Yeah, those two combined. Okay, gotcha. So that that's that's considered quite good. And unfortunately, some people, you know, 
10 percent of their <laughs> of their time in bed is REM and slow wave. And I would what I've what I've seen in in Whoop data for people who experiment with diets, obviously not even nearly as extreme as what you're doing, but for people who all of a sudden are having more sugar in their bodies, like what they'll typically see is more sleep disturbances at night. They'll typically see less REM sleep because you know REM sleeps when your your brain is repairing cognitively. Sugar tends to disrupt that. Um, alcohol, same thing, right? So when you see people, for example, who do like a sober October, all of a sudden they tend to be getting more REM sleep, more yeah. slow wave sleep because the alcohol is not in their system. So things like that. Yeah. So if I look at, I'm looking at my app right now. I've been averaging about two to two and a half hours of REM plus slow wave sleep combined <laughs> over the past week. Okay, so that's which probably, is not fifty percent. Which is that's probably down from where you used to be, right? All I know is I wake up really sleepy, and it's really cool to have this data because I post almost every single day what my sleep was because people find that really interesting, and they yeah, always you ask, should. you know, what, where, how are you tracking this, you know? And it's really good data, and I think it's really important. And you guys just recently added respiratory rate. Yeah, exactly. Well, respiratory rate's a very important metric in this world of COVID nineteen because we found that. We found that respiratory rate, and actually I'm interested to hear what yours is, but we found our respiratory rate stays flat for people. You know, over time, it typically stays completely flat. Now, if you made massive fitness gains, it might go down slightly. If you made massive fitness declines, it might go up slightly. But breaths per minute while you're sleeping is typically pretty flat. What we've also seen, though, is if you get COVID-19, mm-hmm about 80% of cases show a dramatic spike in their respiratory rate. And so it's been a useful tool for people to just keep an eye on their bodies during COVID-19. I think it's really good data. Uh, I think mine's at uh, 16.8. And do you know what it was uh, before you started, uh, like when you were a healthy keto person? Between 14 and 16. There you go. Like in August. That's yeah, pretty I see interesting. The so now. your, your <laughs> respiratory rate's gone up two breaths per minute, which is actually a lot. Yeah. It's an enormous amount, mm-hmm. uh, which, which makes sense. You know, your body's getting heavier, you're <laughs> exercising less. Do you have, now, what are you doing? Like, you know, psychologically, like, are you, are you sort of like, are you trying to do anything to offset feeling like a worse version of yourself or as part of the exercise, not the exercise, but part of the experiment to actually somewhat torture yourself in, in every possible way. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm torturing myself almost in every way possible, except I did commit to meditating every day, writing a gratitude list every day, and going on a 10-minute walk with my dog every single day. Other than that, it's pretty much Netflix and chill. I mean, I still have a lot of work. I still have to like record podcasts and film stuff with my film crew and yeah, right. um, all kinds of like, posts on social media, that kind of stuff. So but most of my stuff is sitting down, right? I don't really stretch. I've just kind of let myself go completely, um, which is part of this whole journey is just to kind of get me off of my mountain, if you will, like where I used to be of, of always being on the top, always being fit, always being in shape. It's kind of way a way to humble yourself, like forcing yourself to be humbled so that you can kind of see things through a new lens, through a new perspective. Tim Ferriss talks about this a lot, and he does different experiments where he'll live off $50 a week or he'll wear the same clothes every single day. And, you know, just kind of uh, putting yourself in different uh, circumstances to force yourself to see your life through a new lens. And that way, I think that that's what this does. This My whole journey is about empathy. 
And I want people to be more empathetic towards those who struggle with their weight instead of thinking it's so easy. Like, hey, guys, just eat less and work out. Like, what's wrong with you? Stop being lazy. Just willpower your way through it because that's the problem with the fitness industry, in my opinion, is it lacks empathy. And there's a lot of judgment towards people who are larger and people think they're lazy and that they're less than because they don't take care of their health. And I'm trying to bring awareness to the mental and emotional side of transformation and just how hard it really is because we think it's just about eating less and working out. And yes, in theory, that's kind of what people need to do, but there's such a strong emotional connection to food that sometimes people don't understand that people since a very young age have probably programmed their body and their mind to distract themselves from stress or trauma or challenges in life with a substance like food that's legal. It tastes really good. It makes you feel good. And it numbs you temporarily to not face those demons or those emotions. And so people do this all the time with food, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, like social media, movies, TV, whatever it is. We're a society of kind of distracting ourselves from the real issues and we've just programmed our brains for so long. We've created these pathways in our brain. And to rewire our brain is really difficult. But this is what I'm trying to bring awareness to. This whole movement is about empathy. And we need to have more empathy because I feel people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what my journey, that's what my brand is all about. And I feel like people are more willing to listen if they feel understood, if they feel uh, if they don't feel judged. And that's kind of what I'm, my hope is with this whole movement. Look, I think it's amazing. I think you're putting yourself through a really painful uh, experiment, but I think the origins behind it are, are really uh, quite healthy, ironically. Like the way you describe the reason for all this is I think really powerful. Now, your girlfriend, is she doing any of this along with you or is she trying to <laughs> actually stay away from every meal that you're touching? It's so funny. She, um, she's definitely trying to stay healthy. She would not be up for doing something like this for sure. It's way harder than people think uh, psychologically for sure. Um, a lot of people think it'd be fun. It's like having Christmas morning every single day. It's, it's, it's not fun. It's like <laughs> it loses its special feeling. I, right. So <laughs> yeah, I can't, I don't think it would be fun at all. I mean, I, if I have two days of bad meals, I'm like, God, I gotta, I gotta go on a yeah. cleanse or something. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hate the idea of what you're doing personally. I hear you, but she's, she's been uh, struggling to try and eat healthy and stay healthy, but she gets to work out every day. She does yoga. She goes to the gym. She lifts, she hikes, she takes the dogs for a walk. She still has that outlet. That's like her therapy. And um, so, yeah, there are moments where I'm eating my Oreos and having my Ben and Jerry's where she's like, okay, screw it. I'm just going to eat some. <laughs> I'm like, you can have it if you want. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to force you, but there's no way she would forcefully, you know, do this to herself uh, to gain the weight with, with me. She actually has lost weight so far since we started. Some of that's like an overreaction, right? You yeah. see someone eating Ben and Jerry's and you're like, God, that's like his third bowl of Ben and Jerry's. I got to go outside and like go for a run. Exactly. <laughs> and how have you found this is affecting your like emotional relationship with your girlfriend or other people in your life? Like, do you just feel like you have less patience for people or are you so aware of all this stuff that it almost doesn't affect you? It's so interesting. I'm, I'm way more aware this time around versus back in 2011. Right. So I have a lot more tools at my disposal to be more aware and present in the moment. But even with all of that, there's so many times where just my programming uh, takes over where I just become reactive. And then after that, I am, 
I'm aware of like what I just did. And it's almost, it's so weird because it just, it kind of takes over the normal me. I'm able to step back and be the observer of my thoughts in a lot of situations. But when you're constantly in survival mode, you're sleep deprived, your recovery is not good day after day after day, which a lot of people that happens to, I feel like this is why people are so reactive in this world is it starts with health, physical health, mental and emotional health. It, It carries over into that. And so just to be totally honest with you, Will, like we've talked about it openly on our podcast where we've struggled in our relationship, even though we know what I'm doing is temporary, like what I'm doing is on purpose. There's been times where we've gotten into fights where normally we don't fight that way. And I know a lot of it stems from me and and kind of how I show up in those moments where my fuse, you know, is usually a lot longer when I'm more patient. It's when you're sleep deprived and you're constantly in survival mode, like I'm talking about, it's a lot shorter to where I try and be calm in the beginning of an argument, which, you know, all couples argue. And then after five minutes of like trying and it's not resolved, I'm like, you know, like a a grumpy little kid. And that's kind of what happens in these moments. And so we've had arguments where we've had to take uh, a break from each other. You know, we, we work with an awesome therapist. She's helped us through this. And I just constantly try and remind my girlfriend, like, hey, I'm sorry for what I said to you when I was hangry. And, you know, what I said to you during this fit to fat to 40 journey, just realize that this is temporary. It will all be over soon. I kind of have to tap into my mentality when I did my 100 miler of it's a constant pain. It's a constant uncomfortable feeling. It's a constant um, hard. Every day is hard. Not There's no like easy days. Every day is hard. I just have to remind myself that this will be over soon and that things will get better um, in, the, in the near future. It's so interesting. It's like you're two different people embodying the same body. <laughs> when, when, when you get on the scale, because obviously you're motivated to demonstrate that you've gained weight for the story and for the audience and for people following along, do you take some pride in seeing the number jump up? Or is part <laughs> of you still like, God, how did I just gain 10 pounds? Like, yeah, that's interesting. I think there's a part of me that expects to gain the weight. And I know there's a lot of pressure from people following the journey when I do the lives and post on social media. There's a lot of people that um, uh, expect big numbers. Like the first week I gained 14 pounds, mostly water weight, of course. Wow. But people like to see these huge numbers. And if I gain just two pounds, I know people are going to be like, oh, that's that's boring, right? Like no one, that's not a lot. But yeah, there's like a, uh, there's two sides to me. There's a sense of accomplishment, like, hey, I'm doing these things, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm uh, progressing. But then another right. part of me is like, damn, how am I going? <laughs> like, this is getting scary. You know, I'm way ahead of pace of where I was back in 2011. Just so you know, like, I I'm on pace to gain like closer to 75 pounds in four months on this journey versus wow. 75 pounds in six months. And and is part of you scared about that? Like, are you? At any point in this, are you saying to yourself, like, well, gosh, I'm I'm actually meaningfully older now than I was this last time. And and like maybe it's actually gonna be much harder to lose the weight or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, there is a and that's kind of the whole purpose of doing this a second time almost 10 years later is different metabolism, different hormones. Everybody in their 40s and older, that demographic tells me a lot of the time, like you know, hey, when you turn 40, it's going to be harder to lose weight. It's going to be harder to maintain. It's going to be, you know, your hormones are different. Your metabolism is different. And so I kind of want to give that demographic hope and say, look, I'm turning 40 this year. Let's do this journey together. I'll be testing the waters and really, you know, uh, seeing what it's like as a 40-year-old doing this again. Will it be harder? Maybe. But it, I do know it's still possible. And that's the whole idea is come January, I want people to join me on the journey back to fit so that, 
you know, I know everyone's going to want to be done with 2020 as soon as this year's over. It's been a crazy <laughs> year with elections going on. It's like, everyone's like, let's just fast forward to January, please. <laughs> so January 4th is my first day. People can follow along for free through my website to see what I do every day. And we'll do this together as a team, as a community. And there's going to be a lot more data, a lot more educational things along the journey for people. You know, tracking a lot more more data, like using your Whoop device is going to be really cool to see the flip side of this. Um, and so I definitely want to show people that and give them hope so that 2021, we can start off on the right foot. Now, when you lost 75 pounds uh, almost 10 years ago, uh, how long did it take? Six months. Six months of gaining, six months of losing. The, the goal this time is four months of gaining, four months of losing. Wow. And you think that's pretty manageable? You're not worried about four months? <sighs> that's, that's my hope. I really don't know if it will work out as planned. My, my hope is that, yes, I will. And I want people to understand, like, I'm not going to be doing anything extreme where I'm going to be working out four hours a day and, and uh, you know, starving myself, eating 1,000 calories per day. The goal is to eat between 1,800 and 2,000 calories per day, work out five days a week, uh, three days of, like, gym time, you know, lifting, two days of uh, cardio, and that's kind of what the idea, the plan is, and each workout's maybe 45 minutes long. It's not extreme. Like maybe for some people that's extreme, but it's kind of a, a good uh, balance, I think, of like a healthy lifestyle. It doesn't have to be this extreme thing of working out five hours a day because no one has time for that, right? Right. So it's almost you're almost not even going fully back to your prior lifestyle. Yeah, it'll be similar, but this time around, I, you know, I'll probably be a little bit more strict. Just be honest with you, I won't have a cheat meal every single weekend, or sure, you know, I'll have to be a little bit more strict with my macros and calories and all of that stuff. But uh, it'll be similar. I plan on doing keto and intermittent fasting mostly, but I do plan on revisiting those diets: uh, keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, to show people if you're going to do them, here's the correct way to do them. Yeah, so that's I'll be, cool. I'm doing a mixture of those just to kind of give people other tools. So. Not everyone thinks they have to be keto to be successful. Like there's, you can lose weight with any diet, but there's a healthier way to do these diets. And so I'm going to show people that as well. Gosh, I really like that. Now, what has been the most intense meal that you've had so far? (laughs) I just recently, it's probably just because I just did it. It is a five pound burrito challenge here in Utah. It's a Mexican restaurant. (laughs) And it is massive, dude. Like it was me against a couple other local celebrities here. And we kind of went at it. And I thought I was going to be able to finish it, but I didn't even get close. I finished like maybe three pounds worth of it. And I was like stuffed for the next 24 hours. Like I could not eat anything after that. Um, and it was pretty intense, but I've, I do these fun food challenges once a week to kind of entertain people. People like to see me eat massive amounts of food. That's not kind of what I'm doing every single day. Every, every other day is like a normal day, but yeah, the, the five pound burrito challenge still haunts me a little bit. (laughs) Amazing. Now what, what, uh, what else is there about this journey that maybe you wouldn't expect or someone observing might not expect it, it honestly it kind of has to do with the relationship with my girlfriend and how that's been affected and i think the the hardest part that i've kind of learned is like even though i still have these tools of meditation gratitude list i thought it wouldn't affect me as much mentally emotionally as it has just because i have those tools and it's just it just has been a wake up call for me to show how powerful you know, human biology is like with eating this way, sleeping this way, living this lifestyle. I, f- I totally feel like my brain chemistry is way different than what it normally is to uh, show. And that shows me how I have changed or showed up as a dad, as a boyfriend, 
uh, as a boss sometimes. And I'm just like, man, why am I so like frustrated or so annoyed today? I'm like so annoyed at everything. And I'm like, this isn't the normal me. Like I'm crying during commercials. Why am I crying during commercials? Like I don't get emotional. And this is right. the power, the power of, you know, our, our amazing bodies that we have and how it, it, it changes with one, starting with the food we eat, the, how we manage our stress, how we sleep and uh, lack of exercise and lack of uh, getting outside. Like there's, there's a huge, huge difference even for me. But this is what's so interesting is I went from one extreme to this extreme. So for me, of course, this is hard, but this extreme is some people's normal for the past decade or decades of their life. Right. And we wonder why, why can't you just change, right? Why can't you just eat less and eat these real foods? It's like, this is their normal for so long. They don't really know what it's like to feel the other extreme of being super healthy. And I think that's the biggest piece that's missing is, um, you know, people don't really know what they're missing, right? Because they're, they've been living this way for so long. It's normal for them to be sleep deprived. It's normal for them to be in survival mode. And they've gotten so accustomed to that. Their body's adjusted to that it's really hard to think, okay, well, I'm going to eat whole foods now. I'm going to do keto. I'm going to go exercise six days a or yeah, six days a week and totally change my lifestyle. It's just, it's not a simple jump for people like we think it is. Well, the education process, I think is a really good point in all of this. Like the fact that you're able to show, Hey, you can gain a ton of weight on any of these diets if you're not yeah. doing them properly. I think that's a very powerful message. The one thing I wonder though is, the person you're describing who lives their normal life in this state that you're, you're in mm -hmm. is any of like, do you think any of it is also just the discipline to take, to make the change? I mean, what you're doing also requires an insane level of discipline, which is why in the back of my mind, there's really very little question as to whether you can lose the weight because I know that you're going to have this super regimented four months Yeah, just based on interacting with you. You're the kind of guy who's going to do the thing that he says he's going to do. Yeah. What, what are roadblocks for someone who's maybe at a place in their life where physically they're not happy with what they are, but they, they actually can't find the discipline to do what you've done? Like what, where, does, where, where can that come from? Is that just an inner drive or are there other ways do you, do you think in working with clients or working with people who are out of shape to give them that discipline? That's such a great question. And that's kind of the ultimate question for people when they can't figure out why they can't just do the things they need to do. Like everyone knows they need to exercise and eat healthy. Why can't they just do those things? And this is kind of what I've been on a journey to help discover for you know the past probably six years of my life, going through some personal experiences to really see things through a different lens of why people don't have that discipline to just stay consistent with their their meal plans and their workouts. And the couple things I've learned, one is that there's no one size fits all approach. <laughs> like, oh, this is what's happening. And this is the pill they need and the exercise they need to do to fix it. It's like, every single person has their own individual uh, journey and life experiences that have shaped their beliefs to look at things through uh, their perception, right? And so when people have some type of emotional trauma or uh, programming that stems from childhood to look at food a certain way, and you know, to you, they ha you almost have to become self more self-aware to realize why you are the way you are. So it requires digging deep and bringing up some old emotional stuff that you didn't think was affecting you, but on the subconscious level is keeping you from being consistent. Cause in those moments of being triggered where there's emotional stress in your life from family, friends, finances, business, you on the subconscious level, don't even think about it. You gravitate towards that food or you, you sabotage yourself because you've been doing that the past 10, 20, 30 years of your life. And you just try and willpower your way to a new lifestyle. 
it, it can't happen until you almost release that and overcome it and figure out that that's what the trigger is. And then in those moments of reacting, the key is to become more self-aware so that you can become the observer of your thoughts and take a step back and say, okay, here's what's happening. The triggers are coming. I, I can see that happening. The emotions are coming up. And now my brain is telling me to go towards this food or this substance to numb that pain because that's what I've been doing. So self-awareness is the key. It's not as simple as just turning the switch on. Self-awareness is something that has to be learned. And in those moments of reacting, you know, you have to take a step back, observe what's happening, and then thoughtfully respond to eventually break those habits. There's also a really good book called Willpower Doesn't Work by Benjamin Hardy. A great huh. book for anyone trying to figure out why they can't do the things they know they should do. And his book is really good because he talks about how humans are the ultimate adaptation machines and that the key to change isn't willpowering your way to a new lifestyle, but it's changing up your environment to force you to adapt to that new environment. And once you adapt to that new environment, change becomes a byproduct of adapting to that new environment. And that's how we create lasting change instead of just trying to willpower our way through it, thinking, you know, there's something wrong with me or I'm broken because I can't be disciplined. I can't stay consistent. I will say this though. There are some people that are born with that ability to be disciplined, like David Goggins of the world, the Jocko Willings of the world. Like even people would consider me, you know, doing these hunter milers and, and uh, doing this type of journey where you just have the discipline. Yeah. I think there are people that are born with um, being able to uh, be disciplined. It's easier for them versus other people. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely in that camp of 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 discipline, uh, and it's interesting what you're talking about with that book. Like they've done all these studies, for example, even just of how food is laid out in a kitchen. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you've got if you've got a jar of candy that's sitting in the middle of the room open, even versus closed, yeah, more more candy bars are going to be eaten out of the jar. I mean, it's just. Talk about humans being these sort of adaptation machines. <laughs> it is that simple sometimes. Yeah, it's it's the simple things like like sleeping in your gym clothes the night before, laying them out so that it's ready to go, putting your alarm clock further across the room that forces you to adapt to walk to further to turn the alarm off. And by that time, you're more likely to be awake or um, you know, doing things different than what you normally would do. You have to get creative to, okay, find ways to change up your environment. Like you said, get rid of the candy or hide it or have someone hide it so you don't know where it's at. And that way your body has to create these new neural pathways to adapt to a new environment. And hopefully by doing that time and time again, constantly adapting and changing, you are able to make progress finally. Um, Cause people try and, you know, they don't want to change too much. <laughs> they don't want to make it too hard for them. Um, and that's what I think uh, creates, you know, in the end, unfortunately, uh, not a lot of success when you're trying to make a huge lifestyle change. You're like, oh, well, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to get up really early to do my workout. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but sometimes it takes a radical change like that. Okay. Now changing topics for a second, obviously the whoop audience is fascinated by measurement. Mm -hmm. What are some of the different tools that you're doing or that any, you know, anyone can use to understand their bodies at the level that you are? Yeah, honestly, the biggest thing really is um, I went on a journey of self-discovery after my divorce. So I left my religion and went through a divorce at the same time. Those are like two two wow, huge that is a lot. You know, things that define your identity, right? And it kind of hit my rock bottom. And in that moment, I had to really discover who I was without those things because my whole life I was told to be these things. And without them, well, what's left of me? Who am I without that? 
And so that took a lot of self-discovery uh, and the tools that I've used to get to this place of being able to be more self-aware is one was meditation, you know, being open to uh, a breathing practice like meditation and learning how to become the observer of your thoughts. Meditation was the first step, uh, a daily gratitude list, um, some type of journal uh, that you keep every single day, and then a positive affirmation practice that uh, for me and my clients has worked miracles, honestly. Saying positive words about yourself to yourself every single day um, is really, really powerful tool. And then from there, uh, therapy, life coach of some type to help you see your world through a different lens because you just get stuck in the same neural pathways and the way and uh, the way you think we get stuck in those same loops so you need someone to help you see things through a new light a new perspective um from there reading books uh brene brown's books are really powerful um there's another book called uh loving what is by byron katie highly recommend that uh the four agreements is a book i think every human should read or should have read um, to understand uh, how to let go of a lot of uh, you know, fear and worry and anxiety and um, you know a lot of uh, uh, unnecessary suffering. The other book I would say is Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, a great book to learn how your ego gets in the way of a lot of the things in your life and causes a lot of self-sabotage and, and suffering. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, also, getting out in nature, spending time in nature is huge as well. Those are the tools that I've used mostly. Fascinating. If you think about the tools that you're using right now to measure everything about your body. So for example, you talked about the body fat test. Mm -hmm. What are you using for that? Yeah. So right now I'm using in body, which is a very popular um, scale. You step on, you hold these little handles. It's not the most accurate I would say, but it, the, the, that's not the most important thing as you're measuring change, be consistent with the tool that you're using and measure change. That's the biggest thing, whether it's accurate or not is irrelevant in my opinion but staying consistent with the same tool. So InBody is what I'm using for that. Whoop is what I'm using to track my sleep and recovery score. And when I start working out, I'll track my strain levels as well. I'm using a CGM device, a continuous glucose monitor. You don't have to have that. You could always prick your finger. It's super cheap. Um, you know, the, this company levels, you do have to get a prescription from your doctor to get access to one. But I think it's going to become more available, more mainstream in the future. Um, let's see what blood else. work. How are you doing the blood work? So blood work I'm doing once a month with my doctor. We did a weekly draw during those, those diet tests to show the, the weekly differences, but I recommend everyone listening, like your average person, maybe two to three times a year. Like you don't need to do it every month. Like I'm doing. Um, but it's really important data to kind of see, okay, if you're keto, how do you know that's the best for you? You know? Yeah. You might be able to lose weight, lose fat on it. But is it really healthy for you? That's why blood work is so important. Or vegan or vegetarian. Like, Look at your blood to see which lifestyle serves you best, which one you feel the best on, and gives you the, the best results as far as blood work goes. Now, if people want to follow your journey in great detail, uh, how do they do that? Yeah, so there's two ways. You could go to my website, which is fit number two, fat number two, 40, either 40 or spelled out.com. And everything's available on there or on social media. All my handles are at fit number two, fat number two, fit. So fit to fat to fit on all social media handles. Got to make it through the holidays. My birthday is December 27th. And then January 4th, it's go time. We're going to do this journey together. And like I said, I'll hold your hand every step of the way. And 
it'll be a really powerful uh, uh, journey. So I'm excited. Well, look, we're we're pumped at Whoop <laughs> to see you on Whoop and using the and using the platform uh, to guide yourself through this. And uh, and look, I think what you're doing is uh, torturous, but I think it's uh, <laughs> it's an enormously powerful. And so uh, we're we're watching here closely, and and we'll make sure to promote it on our side. Thanks so much, Will. Really appreciate it. And like I said, I wish I would have had this this device ten years ago, but the fact that I have it now is really really cool to capture this kind of data to show people what else is happening when we live this lifestyle outside of just fat, fat loss or fat gain, right? So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for Drew for coming on the Whoop podcast. Thank you to all our members and podcast listeners. A reminder, you can use the code Will Ahmed to get 15% off a Whoop membership. We've got a great holiday deal going right now. Buy one, get another one 30% off. Follow us at Whoop, at Will Ahmed and stay healthy.